When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There seems to be something called an axial age between like 8,000 and 3,000 uh, BCE. And before, you know, somewhere in there, let's just say roughly 5,000 BCE, it depends on where you are in the world. People neurologically functioned out of a deeper nervous nervous system. And most religions, spiritualities came out of this analog neurological system in that we don't divide. We're one with nature. And it was very common for people to live a really long time, talk to the trees, get dreams, do divination, because there was a sense of oneness. And so when you're part of everything, you perceive more. You can perceive chakras and meridians and auric fields. And there's lots and lots of stories. I've done some research, I'm sure you have too, you know, of space beings coming and visiting or 27 plus cultures say they came from the stars. So that's analog. And then somewhere in there, there was a series of invasions, like from the north to Mesopotamia and this and that and the other thing, where it became important to be so-called civilized. Now we could question what that means, but but it's sort of like the northern gods took over the southern gods. Uh, we became much more about the sun and eclipsed the moon. Uh, the goddesses went way the you know wayward, and we started to live digitally. We started to grow crops. We had to keep track of time. You know, we had to have things happen in a calendar system, you know, versus astronomical system, it became about our time. And so that's the digital neurological system. And that's where most of us function out of. Everything's about ABC, you know, it's about one, two, three. And in that kind of system, we're separate from nature. We dominate nature. We don't learn from it. It doesn't give to us. We take from it. So isn't that fascinating? The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My Seven Chakras, and now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, I chat with Cindy Dale about amazing topics such as energy, chakras, auras, trauma, and the soul's journey. Now, these are topics that I know you love. So if you'd like to not miss out on any future episodes, then make sure that you hit subscribe, especially if you're on your iPhone or hit follow if you're on Spotify, because these things let the algorithm know that you like our show. 
And before we begin, let's listen to our latest iTunes review by a user named Rachel Skirley on iTunes. And this is a special review because this was on my birthday on June 8th. And she says, I started listening to this show when I was diagnosed with depression again and felt completely hopeless and stuck. Although I do not consider myself healed, I feel hope when I listen to AJ and his guests. I even started a healing journal to write down all these ideas so that I can remember to explore each one of them further and work to incorporate new habits into my life. When my apathy is so all-consuming that I feel I can't do nothing to help myself, I can practice some simple self-care and listen to a podcast. Thank you, AJ. You brought a breath of fresh air into my life. What a wonderful review. Thanks a lot, Rachel. If all of you would like to show us some love and allow me to read out your review as well, then make sure you write us a review by going to my7chakras.com forward slash review, my7chakras.com forward slash review. I will ensure that your review is read out. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Cindy Dale. Cindy Dale is an internationally renowned author, speaker, healer, and business consultant and author of 28 books about energy medicine, intuition, and spirituality. In addition, she has worked with over 70,000 clients and presented hundreds of seminars and workshops around the world. She's also a favorite teacher and healer for China, leading in-person and online classes, and has been published in over 17 languages. If you're in this space, you might have obviously heard about Cindy Dale, but if you go to any library, you'll find an entire section dedicated to her amazing books because the wisdom that she shares is profound. And in today's uh, episode, we talk about her amazing book, Energy Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Chronic Illness. So firstly, welcome to the show, Cindy. I'm so happy to be here. You know, it's a funny thing when talking about trauma can make us happy, isn't it? <laughs> that is very true. It just reflects the cyclicity of life, right? Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, then you go up again. So. Well, and I think when we're down, it's like the uh, sharing that you read from Rachel. You want hope. You want to know that there's something within your power and or depending on your belief system, that there's a power greater than you that can lift you up. So you're not always at the bottom and there's always a ladder to go forward. Absolutely. The quote that comes to my mind is, I forgot who said it, but he said that the prospect or the possibility of having a dream come alive, that makes all the difference, right? You might not have achieved your goals, but if somebody tells you that it's possible for you, then deep down, at least you have that hope and then you can take small steps to maybe transform your life. Exactly. Well, and it only takes small steps. I know when I look behind myself at anything that yeah. I really worked toward, you know, it really did start with stall, small steps. And frankly, it kept going with small steps. <laughs> I was like, yeah. very infrequently <laughs> did I leap off a cliff. <laughs> That's way, way true. And speaking about small steps, which lead to big books, I'd like to firstly commend you on the amount of information that you include in your books. This is one of your books, which is the complete book of the chakras. And it's, you know, it is complete in terms of the amount of information available. Some of your books are more like encyclopedias. So firstly, thanks a lot for the amount of work that you've done. How long does it take you to, to write a book? That book, The Doorstop, <laughs> that's what yeah, I yeah. call it. That's 1,200 pages, and I hate to admit this, I probably could have doubled it. There's so much information about chakras. That one took me two years. 
to be honest, most books only take me about six months because I'm very obsessive compulsive. And so, you know, I know that when I start a project, I'm not going to put it down. I'm going to sort of gallop into it. And pretty soon I'm going to be cantering and it just consumes me. So, you know, I often think of myself sometimes as a procrastinator because I know that once I get into a project, that's all I'm going to be doing. But I, six months for most books, but that big one, you know, chakras are known around the world, every sing, almost every single culture. And even though the systems are different, maybe we talk about different colors or different numbers, it, it, they really all have more in common than less in common. Absolutely. And in, in that book in particular, you talk about the different traditions and the different civilizations that historically have spoken about the chakras. But once again, it's really, really get, great to connect with you. And in all of our interviews, we start from the very beginning. So uh, where were you born up? Born and brought up, not born up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was sort of born and brought up, sort of in the same places. I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now. That's where I was born. And my dad was in Nassau, uh, and so we moved to Huntsville, Alabama, and California. And I like to think I still have a little bit of a Southern accent. It's not just Midwestern. Uh, but then we moved back to the Minneapolis area, and, you know, it's sort of like I had children, so here I am. I keep thinking, oh, one day I'm going to leave the cold, horrible, snowy Midwest and, you know, go south. But but kids keep rotating in and out. So here I am in Minneapolis. Amazing, amazing. And by the way, people who are listening to the show, firstly, make sure you share this so that we can uh, have more people watch this stream because I've got some amazing questions and themes to explore but Cindy, what was it like growing up in your household with your father working in NASA? Um, what comes to my mind is he was an astronaut and you seem like you're a psychonaut, like, you know, <laughs> delving into the minds of people. <laughs> there's, there's a thin line between psychotic and psychic sometimes, <laughs> according to my parents. Um, right. Yeah, my dad was an engineer, a scientist, aeronautical. Uh, my mother was very Protestant from... Uh, North Dakota. They were both Norwegian. So I'm kind of one of those white wonderbred Protestant kids. And I happen to be afflicted with the ability to be able to see things other people couldn't see. So honest to gosh, my mother would be upset and I could see different colors moving up and down her. So I knew when I was going to get in trouble because just this red energy blared out of her. Or when my dad came home from work, I could tell how many martinis he was going to drink <laughs> based on, you know, kind of the yellow color that he was. If he was sort of a bright yellow, and I know now that's the third chakra in the stomach area, you know, he'd be happier. He might have one, maybe two and engage with us. But if he had had a bad day, there'd be this sort of brown yellow around him. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is not going to be good. He's going to drink. My parents are going to fight. I might as well just go to bed right now. So I could hear things. I could see things. And it didn't go over very well. Let's put it that way. Hmm. So as you look back, was this a ability that you sort of had from a previous lifetime? Or was this sort of like a coping skill you developed because of you living in your household that you needed those skills in order to know in advance or predict in advance energetically 
What's going to happen? You know, you're getting at one of the most important psychological points in the spiritual field, because for me, it was probably 50-50. I have the memory of being in my mother's womb. And I remember all of a sudden sort of waking up. Now, I do believe I use these gifts in other lifetimes. I can remember other lifetimes. But that question, and you're implying it, is, so why did they wake up when I was so young? That first memory, I don't know how old I was. I'm All of a sudden, I'm, a, I'm aware. I'm in the womb. I'm in this body. And I can see, it sounds odd, but I can see my parents' arguments. They're, they're you know, on this particular night or whatever it was, like my mother was really mad at my father. And I could see her words. They were like these twirling spirals of color. And everywhere they came in, and I could kind of perceive them and hit my body. I didn't know this then, but later I ended up with problems. I ended up with infections or a broken bone or something that plagued me at a later time. And I think I woke up, if you would, that the gifts activated because there was a sense of danger, because there was a need to be aware. And so more or less, I stayed aware. I still remember being like six months old and being in the high chair and noticing some of the dark clouds that moved around when my parents were arguing. They argued a lot. Can you tell? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I don't know. What what have you heard, AJ? I mean, I've heard also psychologists talk about that, you know, a lot of times these early awakeners, maybe it's because we were really conscious, but maybe it's because we just have to have these ability to, to cope. Uh, you know, what's your opinion about that? Yeah, very true. I mean, I think uh, part of it is the need to cope. And part of it is also, you know, you write about it in your book also, but like a energy signature that sort of comes through from a previous lifetime. Maybe you were a healer. Maybe you genuinely wanted to transform people's lives and then you passed away. And that tendency carries on from a previous lifetime. Although I don't have too much experience uh, about past lives. And I w was hoping to explore some of that uh, ahead in our interview. But it's really intriguing. Um, I don't see colors. Although at one point, I think it was partly because of your book. There was a time maybe in 2016, 2017, I spent a lot of time in the library just to learn more about auras. And I did one of the exercises where, you know, I was sitting in a very dark room, slightly opening my eyes. And I was able to see the first layer of the aura, the like the whitish, grayish hue that surrounds the body, but I could not go beyond that. I, but getting there. That's enough. <laughs> I mean, yeah. right? <laughs> And most of the images I see are really in my head, you know, inside of the third eye or the seventh chakra, you know, in the third eye in the brow, we see colored pictures in the seventh chakra on the top of the head, we see black, white, or gray pictures. And if you have dreams and you remember dreams, whether they're in multicolored or black and white, you're, you're seeing, you're using clairvoyance. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just this morning, I did like a Qigong move. And I find that when I close my eyes, I can actually visualize the energy moving and flowing as if I'm not doing it in just this 3D world, but I'm doing it underwater or, you know, in an ocean bed where there's, you know, chi and life force flowing. 
uh, along the movement of my hands. So that's fascinating as well, right? <laughs> well, that's very much it. Uh, every so often, what I'm trying to now train myself to do is I know there's other realities that we're in a penetrating. And I believe there's one that we could call heaven on earth or an absolute reality. And if I hold my mind just so, I kind of sense it. You know, I can sense it. I can't with my eyes yet see the beings that surround me, but I can with my inner eye. I get a sense of them. I see them moving. I see them interacting with me. There's almost like a liquid light kind of sensation to the interactions. And I probably five or six times a day right now just stop because I want to sense that because those kind of beings or guides and as well as the part of you or me that's in that reality that's kind of what I think people call the higher, you know, the higher realms or the higher selves. So I don't think we ever end our training if we're on this path. Interesting. So obviously you had certain gifts that were awoken when you were a child, but how did you sort of formally come across the knowledge of the of subtle energy um, or maybe the chakras? At what stage was it where you said, oh, so this is what I read in the book, or this is what somebody told me, and this confirms what I already knew deep down. Well, I had these amazing gifts, and I could hear spirits and get a sense of healing until I was about 12, and then I wanted to be done. <laughs> I wanted to die. No, I was done. I'm very st- Norwegian. I'm very stubborn. So I told, I right. told my parents, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. And they were like, oh, here she goes again. Like, it's a new phrase, but there she goes again. And I got really sick. And over the next two to three days, I lost lots of weight. I would guess maybe 20 pounds, which is a lot for a 12-year-old girl. And I still remember lifting out of my body and drifting up. And I could see this shrunken Cindy down there. I remember the orange glass juice next to me with beads of Lysol on it because every time we were sick my mother like you know kind of how we did in COVID you spray everything with Lysol I haven't drunk Lysol again or or orange juice to this day um and I drifted out and I heard this voice say you have to go back and I said no (laughs) and it said you have to go back and I said no and it said no you're going back you haven't done anything I know, isn't that interesting? So here I am back in this body. I'm so mad, I turned my gifts off completely. And I became anorexic, bulimic, OCD. I mean, I don't know. There's a very long laundry list that's you know kind of on my records. Um, and when I went to therapy around age 19, my therapist, as I started working through different issues, said, you know, you're not only OCD, anorexic, blah, 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 but I think you're psychic. So I decided to find out what that meant. And I was lucky because I was able to travel internationally a lot. And I took a class on what became Healing D. When I was a kid, I saw the chakras. I saw the auric field. I was probably early 20s, you know, something like that. And that was it for me. Then it was sort of like, I have to remember this. And it's always harder to retrain yourself than, right, when you're coming at it naturally. And so I yeah. I traveled and I took a lot of classes and I learned it all up again. Amazing. 
And then you had that muscle memory, I guess, kick in. I did. Where you then voluntarily switch on your abilities once again. I, I, I think I retrained myself actually even more than teachers trained me. Uh, and I think that we all need to know that we can do that. I mean, I would have guides show up and start talking and say, do this this way, or this is what this color means. Uh, I remember one night, I was maybe 28 or 27 or something like that. I heard this voice that said, now you need to know how to be different kinds of animals. And I was suddenly in a mouse, like on my floor. My floor was really dirty. <laughs> From a mouse. Really? Yeah. And then... And then it was like, this is what it is to be a mouse. And then I was taken into the body of an eagle, which is a completely opposite experience than being a mouse. And I could see. So I, I feel like I sort of trained myself and my guides trained me. And I learned, you know, kind of from everywhere I went and books I read, spirituality, uh, science, I well, it's like you, you said you spent a lot of time in the library. I think I had many libraries, some of them in jungles, some of them in deserts, and some of them in real libraries. I, I just needed to learn. I wanted to know what all this was. When you said mouse, what came to my mind was my... Um, so I went for this one workshop, which was about exploring your past life. And in that one workshop, I had a vision where I went into the mind of an eagle, and then you said eagle immediately after that, because I was an eagle and I could see the canopy shape shift into an eagle. But then I also helped that village escape, right, from maybe like an army that was attacking that village. Because I could see a lot of, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the dark of the night, everyone was holding torches and trying to escape in the silence. But that was, so uh, okay, so it, that's, what, that's it what the voice told you. That's what it is. Do you believe that was a past life? that you were an eagle or do you believe you were put in the eagle to help in an alternative or present reality? I'm just curious kind of if you assessed that. I took it as I was maybe an individual who was able to shapeshift into an eagle so that I could get a better view of the place and be able to say how far that enemy was so that I could protect that village. That's what I interpreted it as, but it might be something else. <laughs> I think that, well, that's shamanism, that, uh, that your soul could shapeshift like that. I, to yes. me, that's what shamans do, is become other forms. And I think some shamans actually can literally, or used to at least literally, become those forms. Uh, but I think all of us have some ability through our soul Right? To be somewhere different or perceive what else is happening and to be of use, to be of use when we do that too. Action Tribe, we're going to take a few moments to thank our sponsors because they are supporting us today. Action Tribe, we are already at the halfway mark of 2021 and have stepped into summer. And with all of this change, I'm trying to be more mindful of my health goals, particularly when it comes to vitamins and supplements. A short while back, I shared that I'm trying out a more personalized and tailored approach to health thanks to the company Care Off. Firstly, Care Off has an in-depth online quiz that asks you questions about your diet, 
lifestyle and health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. I wanted to boost my immunity, improve my skin and reduce hair fall. So my personalized recommendations included multivitamins, rhodiola for more energy and reduce stress, fish oil to reduce inflammation and astaxanthin which is great for skin. And you might get a different combination once you take that quiz. My package arrived in a cute box that I'm holding right now, which contains individually wrapped daily packets containing my supplements that are convenient and easy to use. And along with that, you get little stickers that feature supplement facts to inform you about your package and a personalized card that says made for Aditya. The small things make a big difference. And this box contains everything that you need for the next 30 days. I like that Careof is super transparent about the research and the studies, which you can find on their website. They've got a lot of information over there. And they've also written extensively about the ingredients and sourcing so that you can be informed before trying them out. In terms of my experience, I've been liking the experience. I definitely feel more energy. My skin is visibly clearer. And it's a great addition to my breathwork and meditation practice. If you've been meaning to take care of your health and ensure proper supplement intake, then this is a nice way to get started by making small changes to your daily routine and self-care practices. And with the 50% off your first order, you, my friend, have nothing to lose. To get 50% off your first care-off order, go to takecareoff.com and enter code Chakras50. Once again, for 50% off your first care of order, go to T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F dot com and enter promo code C-H-A-K-R-A-S-5-0. Once again, the link is takecareof.com and the code you need is Chakras50. Get started by taking the personalized quiz that they have on their website and take the next step towards your health. And now back to our episode. Absolutely. And, you know, what we're talking about here is essentially energy, right? And your book is all about energy. But in your book, you mention a distinction between physical energy and subtle energy. Could you talk to us about the difference between the two? Yeah, because I think that's what everything boils down to. And we've known for dozens of years through science that everything is made out of energy seen or unseen energy is just information that vibrates uh, uh, a, a can of water is a can of water because of the data that says you're a can you change the data maybe you have a flotation device or right you change the vibration and you go from cold to hot or whatever it might be but there are two basic frameworks there's physical energy and they're subtle. So subtle can also be called spiritual or psychic, uh, whatever other term, bioenergetic uh, you want to use. And physical, you know, the, the only real distinction, AJ, is that physical energy is more measurable the way we know how to measure. That's it. They're the same energy, actually. 99.999 plus 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 percent of an object is subtle energy. Everything's basically subtle energy, except for a very small band of frequency, right, of color or sound that that we're trained to be able to perceive. 
Mm-hmm. And so I guess we're missing out on a large amount of energy that maybe we're not able to detect or measure or notice. Exactly. And so we're very, very narrow in our in our way of living and perception, like even sight. With our eyes, we only see 0.00, I think it's 00036% of the visible spectrum, you know, of, of light. So what else is there? I, and I think a lot of people don't want to know what else there is. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I'm sure you saw that. It's kind of scary. You kind of go, what else is like, you know, wiggling in the dark or like, what else can come and get me? It's bad enough that I have to go to a family reunion and see the people I have to talk to. So I, I, I think over the centuries or the thousands of years in general, human beings have really narrowed their abilities or focus. So we see, perceive, feel, hear so much less than we probably did thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm. So as you look back, why do you feel that uh, that is? Why do you feel we've, in a way, reduced our abilities? Because it feels also like we're entering an age where, you know, there's more and more talk about aliens and life on different, right, uh, um, planets or different star systems and it seems like now they're saying you know maybe it's real so why do you feel in retrospect did we lose our ability or reduce our ability to detect all of this amazing information around that children tend to have they see fairies and they you know see life all around they talk to the, ETs, you know, right they talk to ETs, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they do well i'm a bit of a geek when it comes to researching this stuff there seems to be something called an axial age between like 8,000 and 3,000 uh, BCE. And before, you know, somewhere in there, let's just say roughly 5,000 BCE, it depends on where you are in the world. People neurologically functioned out of a deeper nervous nervous system. And most religions, spiritualities came out of this analog neurological system in that we don't divide. We're one with nature. And it was very common for people to live a really long time, talk to the trees, get dreams, do divination, because there was a sense of oneness. And so when you're part of everything, you perceive more. You can perceive chakras and meridians and auric fields. And there's lots and lots of stories. I've done some research, I'm sure you have too, you know, of space beings coming and visiting or 27 plus cultures say they came from the stars. So that's analog. And then somewhere in there, there was a series of invasions, like from the north to Mesopotamia and this and that and the other thing, where it became important to be so-called civilized. Now we can question what that means, but but it's sort of like the northern gods took over the southern gods. Uh, we became much more about the sun and eclipse the moon uh the goddesses went way the you know wayward and we started to live digitally we started to grow crops we had to keep track of time you know we had to have things happen in a calendar system you know versus astronomical system it became about our time and so that's the digital neurological system and that's where most of us function out of everything's about abc 
you know, it's about one, two, three. And in that kind of system, we're separate from nature. We dominate nature. We don't learn from it. It doesn't give to us. We take from it. So isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's so fascinating. The other day I thought about this, you know, we tend to think that I was watching a documentary or something like that, which said that human humans have um, a more advanced level of consciousness and uh, cats and dogs have a lower consciousness. But to me, it was like, how do we know that they have a lower consciousness, right? Con- the very nature of consciousness is very subjective. So you can't assess consciousness at an objective level, which means that just because they're not talking to you, <laughs> you can't assume that we're more advanced. And there's this other meme or this photo which says humans think we're at the center, but humans are actually part of the whole. It's part of the circle, right? And to your point, if we become part of the circle, then we can plug ourselves to this amazing um, you know, network of data rather than feel like we got to come up with everything on our own. Exactly. And we're both talking about the same thing. I have dogs. They're much smarter than I am. They know how to get, <laughs> they know how to get treats for free. <laughs> right. <laughs> mine. You know, there, yeah. there's a book I read years ago and it kind of speaks to this. It's called Amazon Beaming. I, th- I think that the writer is Petru Popescu or something like that. It's close to that. And it's, the, it's a true story of a photographer for National Geographic who wanted to find the source of the Amazon. This was quite a while ago. So he heads down to the Amazon in Brazil, and he gets caught up with a group of Brazilian, uh, you know, a tribe of Brazilians. And he especially connects with the shaman. And they are traveling up the Amazon Um, which is sort of like down, you know, everything works differently, but they're traveling the Amazon because they want to get back to its source because they remember when they entered time thousands of years ago through the mouth of the Amazon, they chose to go linear instead of circular and they want to make a new decision. Isn't that fascinating? Oh my God, that is so fascinating. They got, they got, the photographer writes, or the interviewer writes, he, they got, they, they achieved the mouth of the Amazon, and suddenly there's a flash, flash flood, and the photographer is like washed to the shore, and he hears the voice of the shaman saying, we made it, and he never found any of the bodies. So, I know. So we've made choices, whether our choice is collective or individual, to do this digital thing, which is bitterly exhausting. (laughs) And I I get it. You got to be on time for things. I'm very timely. You know, I get things done. I pay my taxes. I'm like, one, two, three, here we go. And I, and I, and I yet keep trying to train myself to let the analog, which is really the major speaker of it, I think is your intuition, you know, kind of be what guides me. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And for listeners listening or watching right now, we are, you know, talking about so many amazing concepts and principles such as time and space and uh, ancient civilizations. It's really fascinating. If you 
want to support us again make sure you share this stream because we want more people to attend and watch this but uh, Cindy one of the things that sort of holds us back right now as people living in modern cities is trauma and you write very eloquently about trauma in your book so talk to us about the energetic nature of trauma maybe if you could take us through the journey of how trauma has formed in us yeah trauma if you have a problem it's most likely because of trauma all right from a very simple perspective, trauma is stress that does not clear. You're stuck in it and it's stuck in you. Like, that's just where we go. And, you know, stress is anything that imbalances you. It can be happy news. I'd love to be traumatized by winning the lottery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but typically what imbalances us are, you know, events beyond our control. We witness them, we go through them. The earlier we have major or intermittent stressors, you know, the less likely we're going to be to be able to clear it unless somebody helps us. And, you know, I grew up in a family where there was just trauma. Nobody talked about it. I mean, you just, you just got more and more of these stressors that built up. And what makes trauma especially challenging to clear, of course, it's usually physical, emotional, you know, or psychological and spiritual, is that it's biological. So it, it, it formulates and is formulated by biological underpinnings and it's subtle. So you can go to a doctor and maybe they'll give you a prescription medicine, but it's not going to deal with the subtle aspects or the emotional, or you can go to a therapist and maybe they talk through some of the feelings, but they may not be able to get to all the biological or the subtle. And so in my book, Energy Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Chronic Illness, it's very researched in terms of the physiology, because I think we have to understand at least the basics of what what does the body go through during stress, especially stress that stays? And what's happening with the subtle realm, the invisible realm, the invisible forces, the chakras, the auric fields, other people's energies that we can't see that get stuck in us. So that starts to paint a very, very complicated picture. And I want people to know it's complex because so many of us guilt or shame ourselves for saying, I've been in therapy 10 years and I still reach for, you know, a, a glass of wine when I'm stressed or I still trigger and I still cry every time this happens. There's so many facets to this locked in stress. We have to be, and there's a lot you can or a doctor that you can do, you know, with with a intuitive person, an energy healer, or by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think based on what you've written in your book is that sometimes we tend to look at trauma in a very one-dimensional way, but because there are so many different types of trauma that maybe you can address it chemically, but sometimes you need to address it emotionally, mentally, subtly, and maybe a combination of all of them. And you write each one of each one can affect us physically and carry subtle charges that can create negative impact depending on how they interact with our original energetic signature. So could you give our audience uh, an overview of some of the different types of um, trauma? Yeah, I will. And I am going to emphasize that phrase you shared at the end, original energetic signature, because it helps to define what's stressful. When we're born, 
are there's kind of a lump sum song that describes us, right? Set of frequencies or colors. That's our original signature. It's our body, mind, and soul. And it's where all of those interconnect that make us who we are. If that gets off, that's when we're going to get imbalanced and we could get stuck with trauma. And there's, from a subtle point of view, there's some really basic, I call them forces that disturb us or throw us off. There's environmental forces, and you might think you can see them. You really can't. You might see the wind, right, or a roof being blown off during a tornado, but you can't really see the force. So we can get really hurt physically, but also emotionally and subtly by environmental forces, by physical forces, such as if we fall or we see somebody hit somebody in front of us. Even if we watch some kind of negative physical interaction, it's as if it happens to us. There's psychological forces, like if we're around somebody who's verbally abusive or emotionally abusive. But what if somebody's just thinking really negative thoughts? That can hurt you too, because we're just fields of energy. We're just made out of fields of light and sound, and we can pick up on that. Or we can just spend too much time like playing horrible video games that your mother isn't supposed to let you watch. But my boys did a little bit anyway, (laughs) (laughs) because it is the real world, you know, but for some people, that's really traumatizing. There's digital forces. And I think we've all, I mean, besides like catfishing, but I know, especially young people are really impacted by how many likes they get or what's said about them. Uh, But there's also EMF. I mean, my computer, everything in this little mini studio I am in is giving off electromagnetic or sound forces that are interpenetrating and carrying messages into me. And there's something I also call spiritual forces that recognizes that there are unseen entities, dark forces, maybe, like we said, negative extraterrestrials, you know, or deceased ancestors. Some of them I think are beautiful and wonderful and good for us. Uh, And many of them are more, we typically use the word dark. And so there's a whole kind of invisible realm that can uh, cause damage to many people. A lot of my clients know about the spiritual forces because they come to somebody like me because they have nobody else to talk to. I mean, they can't go to their psychiatrist and say, this voice I'm hearing is telling me to kill myself. Well, they can, but that doesn't mean the voice is going to go away with the medicine either. Mm -hmm. I mean, it speaks so much to the importance of empathy, right? Like, it's difference between when a patient is called crazy versus not. And maybe a doctor or a traditional therapist does not understand what they're trying to express, or maybe they don't know about, you know, things like, you know, spirit attacks or negative entities, but at least they're open to the idea and they say, hey, you know what, you got to speak to this friend I know, Cindy, she's really amazing at it. Why don't you speak to her as opposed to saying, you know what, I think we need to get your head checked up (laughs) because there might be something wrong with you. I think patients feel so bad uh, when 
intuitively they know something is going on and this might not be also spiritual this might be that they feel something is wrong with their stomach but the doctor keeps saying no there's nothing wrong with you you're completely all right you're fine you know so there's a lack of empathy or really connecting with the patient there right there is there's a lack of empathy compassion they don't feel it hear it understand it now i'm lucky because most of my clients who are sent from therapists psychiatrists or doctors they're sent because that practitioner is going, this is the realm you need to work with. And maybe they can't do it. They're not trained or they don't want to lose their license. I, I'm going to give you a story, though, that was very interesting. I do want to say, too, though, that I do think some voices come from chemical imbalances. This is a very tricky field. We have to be careful also. Um, years ago, I worked with a psychiatrist. Now, she was my client. And her therapist, who was a psychologist, brought me in to work with the psychiatrist. We did a healing. We had a healing table. The psychiatrist was on meds for uh, multiple personality disorder. There's a different name for it right now. But it's basically, you know, she would flip between two, uh, two personalities. And she knew this, but she couldn't control the second personality. So she was on uh, medication. And my friend, the psychologist, thought there was more to it than just a, you know, a therapeutic kind of psychological, you know, physiological disorder. So what we figured out is that when the psychiatrist's mother was pregnant, the mother was pregnant with twins. And probably one out of every 10 or 11 pregnancies are twins. Typically that other, you know, kind of the one uh, fertilized egg doesn't develop and it miscarries. It's very, very common, but people in, you know, kind of the science industry don't step back and go, well, but what, what impact does that leave? <laughs> or what happens to that soul? So the soul from the disappeared twin for my clients stuck around. You get it? Like there's literally physical cells, it's called microchimerism, that were left in the body that gravitated into the psychiatrist's body. And that's common. It happens for everybody, you know, in these situations. Um, but the soul stuck around. And with literally, because that disappeared soul was so mad that it didn't have a body, it would kind of boot my client out of her body and take over until my client's soul could boot it back out. And we made peace with that soul, sent it on its way, and you know what? The psychiatrist eventually went off her meds. We don't know everything that is underpinning what we're labeling with therapeutic or medical terms. Mm -hmm. It speaks to so much about the idea that we don't know so much that is out there, right? Because I think uh, sometimes maybe children or not children right now, but people growing up in the 80s or 90s where there was so much of fascination for the traditional reductionist scientific approach. They used to shut down things like these, right? They would say, are you crazy? You know, something's wrong with you or you're a conspiracy you know, theorist thinking about all these things. But now we're at least open to all these ideas and there's an approach. There's, there's more of an empirical approach to all of these things. Well, you, That's so interesting. you brought it up that people are going, what about these UFOs? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah. It reminds me of a little boy, young boy I worked with. His mother brought him in. I had not, I had worked with her, but I had not 
worked with him and he was 12 or so serious looking boy big black glasses and brown hair i mean he looked like a geek he just looked like a geek all right you know you you know just that like intelligent but i'm not going to talk kind of a kid and i tuned in cuz he wouldn't talk about what he wanted to talk about and intuitively i kept seeing this blue little girl around him just this little blue girl sort of out of well you know like this the the marvel books etc and i said i see this little blue girl around you he goes he looked at his mom and he goes you told her i said she said i didn't say anything and i said well who's this little blue girl for you and he goes well she talks to me like if he goes to the movies he leaves an empty seat. She, he said she's an alien. She came from another planet and she's teaching him. And he says that he gets dreams where the little blue girl and himself and these other kids are all in a circle and they're holding this big white light that need to change the world. And he, it's, it's real. He looked at me and he said, so what do you think I am? It's kind of what we were talking about. I think he was going, well, is this woman going to think I'm crazy too? (laughs) And I just looked at him and I said, you're an X-Men. That's what you are. (laughs) You're an (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. You and kids like you, you're the X-Men. You're the ones that are going to save us. I believe that too. Do you ever go to schools to tell children that, you know what, X-Men is true. Doctor Strange is true. Inception, the movie is true, right? All these abilities that you, that adults judge you for and say it's not true, but they're actually true fairies. Have you ever done that? <laughs> asked to do that. I would love to do that. When my oldest son was in second or third grade, I was traveling a lot, like in the Amazon basin. And I would bring back, you know, I was traveling a lot. I was studying with shaman and the teacher let me come in to show like, here's an alligator, this, and this is a drum that they use and this and that. And, and, and the kids were just like, wow, that's so cool. And my son was looking around going, ah, do they think she's weird? Is this okay? <laughs> and, <laughs> and the teacher was like, hmm, I'm not sure what their parents are going to think of this. And that's the only time I've been in. I think that would be a great project. Wouldn't that be the coolest project? To get kids that would be the coolest. active, activated. I think it's a great oh, idea. Yeah. Okay, I'm open. <laughs> I'm available. Yeah, because kids just need a reason to really open up their imagination. And I feel that obviously, you know, the coloring and the drawing and the activities that they do are good. But, uh, you know, such things would really blow the lid off top. Who knows, we might have like, you know, like a exponential growth in indigo children. <laughs> were you into this when you were a kid? What do you remember for yourself? When I was a kid, I remember, I remember one of the things I remember, I was sitting in my dad's car in the back and me looking at the sky and feeling the sense of connection that that is my father and mother and these are my humanly parents. I knew the there was a sort of clear distinction between the two. And, uh, well, that's one of the things I remember. But I'm sure there are other things which I might have, you know, forgotten or, um, you know, like 
forgotten for the sake of appearing rational and normal. Right, <laughs> and fitting in. That, uh, exactly. That knowing is one of the most important. I think when I started to understand that, that there's a universal mother, a universal, you know, a father. And you look at ancient myths and even chakra storylines. There's typically, you know, mother earth, father sky. And I mean, the story, you know, the, the oneness and then sort of, you know, a ladder to achieve that, which are the chakras, to be honest, one of the ways to achieve that anyway. Um, as soon as I started to grasp that, that there's much more of a universal loving presence, it's when I started to better accept my human mother and my human father and really work through some of the deeper traumas you know, that I laid on them. And, you know, as kids, we're not to fault. We're not to fault for what it is we're exposed to and what we do with it. And yet when we become adults, we have to work that through. And having that connection to the universal mother and father has made all the difference. And my parents are both deceased. Uh, My dad died quite a while ago and my mother died just two years ago. And I think because I don't turn to them to be my everything like kids do, um, they hang around me all the time. (laughs) I like, they do. I mean, they're around me. My mom, I enjoy my mother incredibly. Like every, I don't like let normal people hear me talk to her, right? But I'll go, mom, why don't we do this? Or, you know, what would you say about this? And uh, I was, I actually, soon after she died, I went hiking with girlfriends in in the Camino. It's a, it's a walkway over in Portugal and Spain. And she was through, she was there. She was like, I never got to do these kind of fun things with you. In fact, I think she was jealous that I would do these kind of things when I was alive. So, you know, she could pick up her kit bag and come when she was deceased. And, and she just couldn't, you know, do that uh, in her everyday body. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so you see, that is such a different approach at looking at the eternal eternalness of life, right? Because I, my mom physically passed away from just about a month back. And yeah, and uh, I actually have a story of she, you know, coming through intuitively because the moment I received the news that day, obviously it was hard for me. It was like, didn't expect it. But then later on in the evening when I was coming back from a home, I was picking up dinner from a place and it was pretty dark. I was uh, going back home and I was on the street. The highway was on the right side. And I, you know, sincerely asked my mom, reached out to my mom. And I think you call that spirit to spirit technique in your book. But I, I said, you know, if you can hear me, if you can see me, if you can feel my voice, give me some message, some intuitive channeling or a download so to speak that would allow me to know that you're here and you won't believe what happened next i looked right i just looked right and across the street i saw a board that said mother and it said mother india so it was not just mother specifically whereas mother india 
And I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that this was her coming through to me and telling me and that was just a physical existence, but she's here for the long term. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's there's where the physical and the subtle intersect, right? My mom to, went up a little over two years ago. She just she died. It was a five day process, and it was actually quite beautiful. And um, the next night, I taught a class. I taught on Zoom, and these people had been with me for you know quite some time. My class. So I told them my mother died yesterday. And after I said that, I heard all this noise in the room behind me, like noise. And the dogs were not back there. <laughs> they weren't back there. So after the class, I went back there and two books, just two books had fallen off a shelf. And this, I mean, my book, I have millions of books. They don't fall off. They're, they just don't do that. One of them was Edgar Casey, Life After Life. And the other one, I didn't even know I owned this book. It, it, I don't even quite remember the name. It's such a bizarre book. It was something like, well, that was interesting, but I don't want to do it again. I'm like. <laughs> isn't that wow. fascinating that yeah was my mother's personality though that she would have picked yeah. those two books <laughs> uh, it's crazy how the personality comes through it's it's amazing because just uh five days back uh one of my mentors linda starwolf she wrote the amazing books about shamanic breath work but she invited me because she considers me you know, as um, uh, special. So she reached out. She said, you got to be part of this breathwork session. I feel your mom coming through. So I attended a session. And during that, my mom's personality came through. I mean, I got a lot of messages. But one of her personalities of my mom was she was very practical. And she did not want me to get emotional. Right? So that very practical nature came through. She was like, there's no point, you know, crying or you know, we're getting emotional right now. What you need to do is get up because you're the king and you need to do what is needed and don't consider yourself such and such, you know, stand up and do what you need to do, your mission, your goal, and just, uh, just achieve it. You know, very practical, not, not emotional or making me cry or making me want her to be here. But yeah, I love the fact that you said that the personality also comes through. It's consistent. <laughs> a few years ago, I, I go off and on match.com, you know, with some, you know, ugh, you know what I mean? Three days off kind of thing. So I, I heard this voice in my head. My father's name was Walter. All right. Wally or Walter. I heard my father speak. He was never a man for a lot of words. Right. And he and he wasn't. He said, I will match you. I'm like. Oh my God, who's <laughs> my father? Who's my father going to find me on match.com? The next date I have, the guy's name was Jeff, right? So he owns a restaurant right down my block called Wally's. No kidding. Wally's roast beef. I uh, like my dad, Wally. And my dad, NASA, aeronautical engineering, flew airplanes. This guy flies airplanes. And like my father, drank like a fish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought, Dad, I'm not marrying you all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought that was so funny. You know, that literally my right. dad picked a duplicate of him, like it matched yeah. me up with them. And I, I have a fun, even funnier story around that. So uh, 
Wally's restaurant was near my my house. All right. And uh, after a couple of years, I took an office down the block, you know, in the other direction. And Wally's restaurant moved to that office building, which is great. I, you know, Jeff was in there. We never dated again. You know, I would wave and say, hi, Jeff. Hi. He'd give me, you know, roast beef for the dogs or whatever. And one day my assistant double booked two clients coming in. So I looked at these women and I was like, I have, can somebody come another in another hour? So one of the women said, sure. And I said, you know, you can go to Caribou or if you're hungry, there's Wally's and you can get a, a, you know, a roast beef sandwich or whatever. So she comes back after an hour and she looked at me and she goes, um, do you know the guy who runs the place? I go, yeah, Jeff. She goes, he just asked me out. We have a date next week. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously I wasn't the one who was supposed to date him. I was really the pass through person. So if you just kind of go with what, where you're led, you get where you're supposed to go. Even if you don't know it, I, I believe anyway. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you are getting some ideas, some downloads, some connections, maybe something similar has happened to you as well, let us know in the comments below and also make sure you share this stream because it's very important for us to get more people introduced to this message. Uh, Cindy, you've said that the imaginal realms are subtle worlds of existence that can be reached intuitively. This is fascinating. So tell us more about this. I can't believe you picked that out of my writing. That's one of my favorite teachings. (laughs) When I do teach it in a class, I go kind of haywire. And I think most people look at me like, what? Why is this important? (laughs) I think it's critical. (laughs) So the Mm. idea of imaginal realms is actually an Arabic mystical concept. All right. From from the, you know, the 1200s, from a really long time ago, probably even earlier in the Sufi and other traditions. And it was caught up by, uh, uh, you know, by, you know, kind of 1900 therapists and scholars, and even Carl Jung borrowed a piece of this philosophy, which is that we are continually in touch with other realms of existence. Imaginal does not mean imaginative, It means that they're made out of substances that are different than our dense material. And the theory has been put forth philosophically to explain how the soul brings ideas into the body, how creatives become creative, how you just suddenly know something that nobody else in the world knows, like, you know, the invention of, you know, the knowledge of DNA, um, archetypes that you that there's certain universal realms that transfer data or how fairies talk to you. I see the realms as like concentric circles around me, denser, closer, you know, kind of more subtle, the farther away. It helps me to kind of do that sensing in of them and ask to be connected to a realm and the beings in it that I could serve or they could serve me in the moment. Yeah. Got it. So then you said you've got the physical realm, you've got the fairy realm, the angelic realm, and the higher, highest spiritual realm, right? Exactly. Um, so what do these realms look like? How, what does the fairy realm look like? And have you even traversed to that realm? <laughs> well, you know, it might look different to different people. 
Right. And, you know, some shamans don't do it with this concentric point of view, which I do. They do more lower realm, middle realm, upper realm, you know, whatever. But it gets to the same idea. To me, to me, the fairy realm is very nature-based. There's a lot of crystals. I always see the crystals as having spirits in them or connected to them. To me, the stones are animate, you know, and conscious. The sights are animate and conscious. Um, and, you know, the, the beings are very much like probably what we'd see in Lord of the Rings or in different sci-fi movies. Those, are, those aren't made up. I mean, that's, that's, that's legend, but I do believe those realms still exist also. And fairies aren't always like Tinkerbells. I don't think very many of them look like little fireflies, right? They're, there's different types of beings, uh, you know, in, you know, some tall, like the seed, you know, very tall and more magical. There's gnomes. I remember being in Iceland with a couple of friends and the gnomes started talking to me. It's a very sparse land. I love Iceland. It's, it's, there's just something still raw there. And, and these gnomes started talking to me and they, and they said, you know, we don't look like what you think we do. They don't look like little trolls. <laughs> They're like, we come from, well, they were like, we come from the stars. Like we, we really look like stars. We bring in data from the stars. So I think we have to be, I think we can see things however our brain needs to, right? And it's kind of a beautiful stretch to let a being show you what it believes it looks like rather than what our brain wants to make it look like. That is amazing. Anyone who's watching right now, have you had any experiences with gnomes or fairies or yetis or let us know in the chat because we'd love to know uh, everyone's had their own experience but um uh, cindy when we when we dream at night we have imaginary characters we see things we feel real emotions and it's only after we wake up do we look back and say oh i'm glad that was a dream or oh was that just a dream that didn't happen really so do, do dreams fall under any of these realms or is that something i separate? think there's different kinds of dreams so some, okay, so some dreams are psychological. They really are like our inner nature or our brain trying to work something through. I know a psychological dream because they're usually a continuation of my day in some form. I'm a waitress again, but I can't get to the tables. <laughs> or my, my car is lost <laughs> in the parking lot. That's, you know, sometimes it's just the psyche's way of working things through. There are visitation dreams where a being shows up and you know it's real. But it's not like, you know, psychological dreams. The way you interpret those is you go, well, I'm every part of the dream. So what part of me is the car? What part of me is the waitress? What part of me is like the salad? Whatever, right? Or the locker in high school that you can't find and what does it mean? But visitations, those are real. You, you, you've had those, AJ. You know there's a being interconnecting with you. I, and sometimes they're spiritual, a parent, a, 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 an angel, a master. Sometimes they're real people, but you're interfacing. Like I, I just had one a few nights ago where um, a man appeared in my dream and I knew who he was from high school and he looked at me in the eyes and he was like saying, I was supposed to show up in our real lives, but I can't. 
and then he disappeared. That was real. I knew that was real, and I grieved. I grieved the whole next day. I didn't even remember ever thinking of him for decades here, right? But sometimes they're more magical. Sometimes they're teaching dreams, like I've had angels show up and teach me something in a dream. And sometimes they're just really real interactions. Like you're there, you're interacting, you can control what you're doing, what you're saying, how you are. They might be in a different universe, in a different realm. I had one dream where my soul, I was sleeping, but my soul was taken out of my body and put into the body of this very big German woman back during World War II. And I'm going, what am I doing here? (laughs) Right? I am this woman. I'm very big. And my husband's very little. And he's just icky. You know, he's a German Nazi. So, um, you know, like general or whatever they right? Colonel. I mean, he was top and I'm, I'm me. And I'm all of a sudden in this woman and I'm operating her brain. And I look and I see this mother with two little Jewish children. And because I'm controlling her thoughts, I just knew what to do. I looked at my husband and I said, why do you have our niece? Why are, why did you let this woman take our niece? And he looked at me like he can't argue with me because I'm a very big German woman. I could sit on him and destroy him, right? And who knows who I really was, that woman was. And he goes, well, why don't you take her back? And I looked at this mother. I can cry right now. And with the two different children, and it's like a Sophie's choice. I had to make her choose one of those two kids to save. And I know one of those two children was really saved you know, was brought somewhere safe. Now, that was a real, you know, shape-shifting. I I know that was real. So I think our dreams, most people will look at them as psychological. I don't know how many of them are actually psychological or actual interactions, not just now, not just spirit realms, but who knows where else we go to be of use too. Yeah, exactly. That That's one of the things on my mind is, are we actually living um, alternate realities? And this is a dream for that reality. And the reason why we forget it is because that would be too confusing for us. Because I've had a plant medicine journey recently, about a month back. And when I went through that, it questioned and opened up everything what I considered normal. Um, it opened up a lot for me in terms of you know, imagination, our consciousness, dreams, and everything, interconnectedness of of life, so to speak. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I I do think that the brain, like, keeps a seal on it because it's confusing. I, I remember years ago, my youngest was maybe two, and his father... Uh, and I very diff- were very different in terms of our belief systems. And I was literally being persecuted by his church, by his Christian church. You know, I'm new age, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm all these other things. And it was very hard. It was painful to be judged like that. And one night I dreamed of a parallel Cindy. Now, my name wasn't Cindy, right? And I was a black woman, not a white woman. And I had three children, not two children. And I was, um, so I'm being persecuted for being, you know, whatever, heathen, new age, spiritual, whatever the word is, right? Probably new age at that point. And, and in this 
parallel life, I was being persecuted for being a Christian. And I was killed. And that self from that parallel existence came into my current one and gave me so much more understanding of what was happening and these different points of view and where they intersect. And I, you know, what do you do with that? You, you, you know, you, you, it's real, you know, when something's real, you have to believe it's real. Even if you went to a traditional therapist, they would say, well, that's a good way of working it through in your head, but it was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very true. And I think this is maybe a message for all our listeners to really trust their intuition. And if it's real for you, then it is real, irrespective of what other people say, whether it's a way for you to cope with things, or if you feel deep down that this is what you saw or imagined, or you noticed, then it is definitely real. And Cindy, you, you've written about our original energetic signature. We touched on that a little bit at the start. But what is this and, and what influences this original energetic signature um, well, of our it's, beings? It's, it's a hard thing to explain. When I'm in a human body, right? My original energetic signature, my signature is the blend of the body codes, my soul codes, uh, my spirit codes, maybe my heart, like deep heart codes. It's where all of those intersect and you would say that's the genuine Cindy. And what that would mean is there's physical codes, even DNA codes, that really are supposed to be active and some that are supposed to be turned off. You know, there's ways that I'm supposed to approach the world emotionally that reflect my real nature. Uh, there's circumstances my soul has gone through in other lifetimes or this one, right, that need to be in this this vessel you know, for me to be able to express my spirit, my essence, or who I really am. So that's my energetic code. Uh, everything has an energetic code. I mean, the, the group called elephants has a code, right, that makes them elephants, but each individual elephant will have their own energetic signature or their own energetic code. Problems arise when we get, when circumstances cause, you know, too much kind of big of a gap between what we are in our code, body, mind, and soul, like a unified code, and, you know, what we're living like, what we've gone through, you know, what's going on. Anywhere there's a gap, when there's too big of a gap, we're going to have, that's trauma. We're, we're going to be lost. We're going to have addictions. We're going to have allergies. We're going to have, we're going to not feel like ourselves. I know that feeling. I've many times in my life, I mean, I spent many, many, many years as an adult just going, I don't feel like myself. I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't know. I'm, I'm artificial. This isn't who I am. I, I'm acting this way, but it's not me. That's, I knew it. So I went to therapy. I did Al-Anon. I mean, I did lots and lots of stuff. I feel much more unified. I now know when I'm in a gap, right? But very painful when there's a big gap. Very painful. That's way true. And I feel that our listeners can also sense this because I've been living in this place uh, in Vancouver for a few years. And recently when I went to that um, two-day retreat out in the farm of Langley, I just felt so different. I felt more 
open and obviously because there weren't a lot of electronics around it felt like i was actually vibrating closer to my energy signature compared to when i'm over here in the city and to your point what you write is when we are operating at our original energetic signature we will glow and hum along just fine so you've also written very eloquently about the four, our biophotons and the sound that we make. So could you give us a glimpse into the nature of, you know, these photons and how we are actually glowing oh, yes. and emitting we're light? Geeking out. We're <laughs> geeking out now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so we've been talking to some extent about the big things, like we've got this, and we really are. And I talked about we're fields of light and sound, but that goes all the way down into the micro. So, you know, photons are units of light and they're quantum. They, they don't have weight and they move faster than the speed of light. Um, and there's photons that come off of, you know, that, that create, you know, electric, you know, kind of come off of electricity and electrical feelings, ex fields, et cetera. And we, science started to figure out that DNA emanates photons, but also biophotons, which are even tinier units of light that are sort of like everywhere at once. And when you're really who you are, those biophotons are communicating with this sort of greater field of light. I, it, it has different names we could call. It. Sometimes it's virtual light or possibilities. There's also an absolute light that is very, there's a light that creates no darkness. But the biophotons that come off of us interface with that outside light and oh, it pops an idea or boom, it pops a healing or our DNA changes. You know, we also have subatomic units of sound that move through our body. They're called phonons, P-H-O-N in our body, like the blood pressure or the heartbeats. These phonons kind of travel pretty instantaneously through the body and sort of rest, if you would. I kind of see them like they disappear into the cavities of our organs. And they will carry through your body whatever major message you're holding in your heart chakra, right? I mean, if you're think if you're in a positive place, I don't. You can have a negative feeling. I, you know, go be scared when you need to be scared. Be angry when you need to be angry. You know, it's this is not an anti-feeling kind of kind of tirade. All right, we do want to hold ourselves in higher qualities, like peace, appreciation, or joy, because then when our heart beats or when there's pressure movement in our body, the phonons carry those positive messages throughout the body. And guess what? We're healthier. And you draw healthier people and situations to you. When you're really dwelling in the negative or you have others' negative energies in you perpetuating, your body's going to go downhill. Your thoughts will go downhill. So these biophotons and these phonons mean at the most subtle of level, we really just are like light bulbs and songs. And people can read that energy, whether they know it or not, they're reading our energy. Wow. This takes uh, medicine to a whole different level, right? Yes. Because now it's not so much about, you know, the chemical nature, but we're measuring your health in terms of your light and the sound that you're making. And maybe if you're healthy, you sound like a beautiful orchestra. Whereas if you're a bit ill or 
if you have some kind of disease or the oncoming of a disease, you might be a little bit out of tune, so it's, to speak. And do you know of any instrument that can measure this? Well, you know what? <laughs> there are, uh, there's computer programs. There's a whole field right. called bioenergetics. Um, okay. You know, there's like a Zytel machine where you put your hand on any kind of computer machine that's measuring your acupoints. That's what they're trying to do as well. Um, you know, I think it's why people are starting to use far infrared light, though we don't know how to tune it very well or far ultraviolet. We're getting there. But it's so important, you know, like that we're around also that we're around, like you're saying, something that's positive for us. For instance, my youngest son is a really good baseball pitcher in college. He was on the draft pick for this year. His The school he was at ended up being, this last year, be, ended up being, it, it, there's just a lot of stuff that was just negative for him. It was like a dark cloud, and it impacted his pitching. No matter what he did, he had COVID, it settled in his back, I mean, he was like, mom, I, I, I'm just, it, it was really, really tough. He left there about two weeks ago, went out to get training. And he called me after two days out in Seattle to get training. He goes, I understand energy. He goes, you know what? You're right. It's all about energy. He goes, I'm not in that energy anymore. I wasn't strong enough to persevere through it. I'm healthy. My, my sequencing, that's, you know, kind of how good your mechanics are when you're pitching, it's back to 95%. Within a week and a half, he's throwing faster than he ever has. Now, can, you know, should he have been able to cope no matter what's happening? Can we always expect that of ourselves? I don't think so. Right? I mean, we want to be able to always hum our song and glow our light, but sometimes we have to be in a certain environment. What he's doing, though, because he's changing schools, is he has a list of what he needs that he would never have come up with before. Positive environment, can-do attitude, good communication, great training, what he need, he's learned from the experience. And so it wasn't a wasted experience. He learned the importance of who he is and how he has to match up, or it's not going to work for him or them either. That is very true. And that speaks to the maturity that he has now that he's gone through this experience. And, you know, it makes sense that if you're moving to a new home, you have a checklist. Like my checklist for moving to this new home was I need sunlight. I need adequate air. Right. I, I need for this to not be in a basement. I need it to be open just so that I have a better environment. Similarly, with relationships, I need somebody who is emotionally mature, open and communicative, somebody who is not codependent, it has a vision for themselves so that we can grow together rather than try to you know, complete each other. Right. So if you have those checklists, at least you know what you want and you you know, don't go, go down the rabbit hole, so to speak. It's, it's, a, it's practical and it's real. It's so funny because before our discussion, I was talking to a neighbor and he and his wife have a different, you know, religious, you know, kind of sense than I do. They're very, very, you know, conservative Christian. They're wonderful, lovely people. They're lovely people. Okay. And he was out earlier today flying a drone. <laughs> He's like a little boy with his drone. My dogs love that drone. 
right? They actually wanted to tackle him. I think they thought that if they could, you know, that there would treat, be treats that would drop from the sky or whatever. So we were we were visiting and we get along quite well. And he, he was saying, you know, we're going to move. We found a different home. And we he ended up talking about how he met his wife 15 years earlier. He said, yeah, I had just divorced. Vicky had been, you know, kind of divorced for 14 years, single mom, raised her kids. He goes, but I had a checklist. And I had a really clear checklist. And he goes, and then I felt God led me to go to this one church that had 75 people in it. And I'm like, I will never meet a new woman in this church. 75 people in the church. I got to go to a church with like 5,000 people. And guess what? There she was. And she met the checklist. So use your rational knowledge of yourself. Isn't that a great story? And I really, that was 15 minutes before I came on here. Isn't that a great story? That is, that is powerful. You know, like as humans, we want to be on the safer side and we use numbers, we use rationale, we use statistics, right? And it's crazy. Like there's a story in, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita. I'm not sure if you've gone through that, but basically Krishna is, 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 is the Lord, right? And the story is about, you know, two warring cousins. The cousins are fighting each other. That's the idea of the whole story. And obviously they know Krishna is very powerful. He is like a deity. And so each of the cousins, elder brothers, came to Krishna. And, uh, um, you know, he was sleeping at that time. And they wanted a favor from him. And so one was seated at, at his leg. One was at his, you know, near his head. He opened the eyes and saw the first person uh, who was Arjuna. And the other one, I, I forgot his name. But basically the idea was they wanted his favor. And so he said, both of you can ask me a favor. I'm not going to fight. Right, but you can ask for me whatever you want. One person said, "I want because Krishna was a king." He says, "I want your army. I want your weapons. I want all your technology. I want everything." Because he was a rational, logical type of person. Arjuna said, "I don't want anything. I know you're not going to fight as well, but I just want you by my side." And guess who won the war? Arjuna, because. The moral story is: you can have everything on the other side, but if you choose God. That's it. It's not about a numbers game. It's <laughs> not a numbers game. It's your. It's coming from your holiness, right? And asking for that holiness, and you follow it. And you know, we're we're both speaking. We both, in some ways, spoken too to that. You'll you'll still go through dark times. I mean, there there's going to be times when you're like like my son. You know, going. I can't even pitch. I mean, I don't know what I'm. You know, I don't feel like I don't have enough money or I'm, you know, I've got the, the coronavirus. I had the coronavirus a year and a half ago. I got the coronavirus. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're human beings and yet we're lifted in it and through it. If we, if like you're saying, we know that we have God on our side, God's always on our side. It does help to know it though. <laughs> it helps to yeah, get yeah. permission to know it. This episode is brought to you by me, AJ, because I'm offering you a free Breathwork Foundations course. If you've been interested in exploring Breathwork and learning about the why behind Breathwork, including the science and evidence that makes this ancient practice so amazing, then you got to check out this course. You will discover how to correct your breathing, how to boost your immunity and protect yourself from pathogens and bacteria, 
what the ancients told us about breath, how to lose weight using breathwork, how to improve sleep, digestion, and mental clarity using a simple breathing technique. So come enroll in this free course and learn the basics of breathwork by going to my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Yeah. And I love that you speak about the knowingness in your book and you say that um, if we are unable to relate to our inner code, we might too frequently accede to others' opinions because we don't know what our inner code is. And that for me was like a mic drop moment because uh, you, you also say somewhere inside of us, we, all, we know our true selves and what we genuinely need. If we can't own this data, we project it onto others. For instance, a parent might try to make their child become the doctor they always wanted to be themselves, um, but maybe the child does not want to be a doctor. So talk to us about this phenomenon. and why, why does this happen? Well, it's really common too. I mean, to some extent, you know, it's kind of summed up with that word codependency. And, but not just in the therapeutic sense, it's an energetic sense. So if, when, when we're away from when we don't know how to own or we're scared to own, we could call it that signature, you know, kind of our real self, who we really are, what we really like, what we don't like, what we're here to be, what we want to do, you know, do we like blue or purple or, you know, it's the small things as well as the big things. When we're not willing to be there, uh, then we ver we are really vulnerable. Literally, our energy is not strong enough. The chemistry, the electricity running through our system isn't strong enough to create an energy field, you know, that has our signature in it. And then we don't, then other people's feelings can come in. Others' desires for us can come in. We can, we can actually walk out of in a, in a sense, walk out of our own energy field into somebody else's and we play the part they want us to play. We turn into who they want us to be for their own play, you know, for what they're doing here. So it's, it's not, I, I understand, it took me a long time to kind of get my inner core and to go, wait a minute, this is not, that's not what I'm like. That's not true for me. Um, and so I was really codependent. You know, I was constantly, I would drink if somebody else was drinking and I don't like alcohol or, and it doesn't, it doesn't suit me or, you know, I'd eat what they wanted to eat or, you know, had one relationship after another with more narcissistic, you know, types of individuals because they love people like me, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I'll be there for you. I don't need to be who I am. I, I'll be who you want me to be. And, and, and it does lead to projecting our own issues on somebody else too. So we don't know it, but we end up like thinking, well, you're making me feel this way instead of owning our part to something, you know, or what we want or what we need. It's easy to get resentful because we're giving ourselves away, but we blame everybody else for that. It comes down to being who you are, doesn't it? And that path is what life's about, is figuring that out and then showing it. 
Yeah, it comes down to knowing who you are, how grounded you are in your own energetic signature. Because if you know yourself deep down, then you're able to go through any challenge, difficulty without blaming anybody else, but also without having this uncertainty. Oh, maybe I should be a doctor. Maybe I should be doing something else. You know, maybe I'm not that successful. You know, this inner worry, this doubt will not happen because you're so clear and you're connected with your intuition maybe. And you know, without a shadow of a doubt, this is what you were meant to do. Uh, you might not be completely successful, but God has given you this mission. You got to do it with all your heart. So, Amen. You do. And who's measuring this success? I mean, well, yeah, what is, you can yeah. pay your bills, right? Yeah. And you have what you need and you have love in your life. It doesn't always have yeah. to be a mate or it doesn't have to look like everybody else's life. It has to look like right. your life. That's what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So... Let's talk about a challenge that a lot of people face on this journey, which sometimes creates the doubts and this uncertainties and not sure about what their energetic signature really is, which is financial problems, because you address it in your book and you state that it has to do with the first chakra, the root chakra, and also our feelings of unworthiness and not really deserving the money that might or might not flow our way. So can you tell us more about this? Yeah, so first chakra, red, it's in the hip area connected to the adrenals and actually uh, lumbar vertebrae four and five as well, you know, and that whole hip area. That's the physical energy center. That's the one that's taking what's invisible and helping you create what you need this concrete. It's manifesting. And it's about physical health and everything you need to be alive, like food, money, because that's the commodity that we need, whatever culture you're in, there's some form of money. Uh, And so if you don't think you're worthy of, of having money, if you don't think you're worthy of receiving abundance, if you have judgments about money, like in the Christian religion in which I was raised, there was this thought that, you know, was sort of like, you know, a rich man can't get into heaven. Uh, You know, that's harder than going through, you know, a camel going through the eye of the needle or, you know, it's all about giving it away or you're supposed to be selfless. And, and yet, even in those scriptures, there's plenty of well-off, you know, prophets. <laughs> I mean, you kind of go, wait a minute, this isn't, Abraham had thousands and thousands of goat or sheep or whatever he was leading across the darn Canaan land. You know, I mean, honest to gosh, you kind of, you, it's really mixed up. So we have to know of money as something that's good. First of all, I love money. I, I'm, I'm not in love with money. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to have money. It's fun to, you know, have money for my needs. It's fun to take care of my kids. You know, I don't waste money. I don't, I don't want more than I need either. So I think having a good attitude about it and knowing that it's just energy and we deserve food, we deserve air, we deserve shelter. Do we not, are we not then worthy of money? And then we open to various sources of it if we have that attitude. Interesting. So for people who are listening right now, what can they do to really improve or to reduce their unworthiness, make them feel more worthy and deserving of the money that people might be wanting to send towards them, clients or employers or whatever that might be? And I think you're getting to the core issue behind any problem, which is worthiness. All right. It's this worthiness. So to really work with the issue of feeling unworthy, It does not work to keep telling yourself you're worthy. 
I know, I know that's, I mean, we want to feel worthy, but if you start arguing worthy, unworthy, you're going to find yourself in a, in a tug of war. It's first helpful to start allowing yourself to feel like you're connected. I'm connected to God. I'm connected to my own heart. I'm connected to sources of abundance. So if you can start to shift your mindset from feeling separate because all negative beliefs, like I'm not worthy, I don't deserve, I have no value, I'm bad. That all comes from thinking you're separate from sources of goodness and love. If you can start to say, no, I'm connected to sources of goodness or love, you automatically start disconnecting. You're not trying to, but you just, you're going to have some boundaries for those people or places that don't want to treat you well, right? Or help you thrive. And you're going to open up more and more to sources that want to help you thrive and, you know, mutually, you know, kind of give and take. So I say work on that feeling of being connected to sources of goodness and, you know, abundance. That's the mental shift to make. And then play with money. I mean, make it real. Some of us are very kinesthetic. So for us, it's really hard to kind of get a sense of money as having any meaning, especially these days when it's in Bitcoin or whatever, right? Right. Or invisible. So what I did when I wanted to really start opening to abundance, I started saving change and I would touch the change every day. Like I built it up in mounds and I'd like, oh, isn't this fun? This is really fun, you know, or saving dollar bills. And then I save $20 bills because I'm very physical, but first chakra is physical. I have 12 barrels of money now that that big. And I don't go see that all the time, but letting it be physical, just like food, just like air, you know, let me know that my body likes this and it needs it. And I can receive, you know, the money that comes in through checks or, you know, through visa transfers or, you know, kind of Venmo or whatever it is that's out there right now. So also make it physical. Think of connection. I'm open to connections of goodness and abundance and do whatever you need to physically let money be something real for you. Amazing. That is some really, really amazing advice, things that people can try immediately, and it is practical. So thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed this session and you are now realizing that you are indeed made of energy, light, and sound. But deeper still, you are not your body or your mind, but you are the witness consciousness that is watching all of this unfold. You incarnate into the 3D world and then at a certain point you pass from your physical existence, but the real you, the existence and the consciousness is always present, detached and unaffected. And the more you go inward uh, and you work on your energy, you feel like you're connected to abundance and prosperity. You realize how true these statements are and you'll discover how powerful you truly are. For as Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, the spirit is neither born nor does it die at any time. It does not come into being or cease to exist. It is born, eternal, permanent and primeval. The spirit is not destroyed when the body is destroyed. So think about this and go deeper and deeper into the realization of your true nature. 
And with that being said, Cindy, we've come to the last round for today, which is called the Wisdom Round. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So what is the best advice that you have ever received? Just be yourself because nobody else can be you. Period. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And if you could go back in time and spend one hour with someone who's living or maybe dead, who would it be? I would spend it with my dad. I love my dad. And I connect with him in the spirit realm. But I know that he's acquired even more wisdom. And I would love to sink into what else he has to offer. Well, tonight, I believe it's uh, Father's Day. I it mean, is. Eve. I about Tomorrow's that. Father's Day. That's right. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's my dad's birthday oh, also. Oh, that's Coincidentally. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what is one thing you do in the morning, Cindy, or maybe in the evening that has really improved the quality of your life? Uh, Every morning I get up at 4 or 4.15. I have two really big dogs, 80-pound dogs. I put them in the car. I grab my iced tea. I put them in the car. We drive to the fenced-in dog park, and I run the dogs. Actually, they run and I walk. People think I run. I don't run. You know, so I spend 45 minutes outside and I watch the sun come up. That's changed my life. I'm always in a happy mood after I've done that. Even in the rain, I'm in a happy mood. Phenomenal. And what is one book you'd like to recommend for our listeners today? Yeah, there's two. I'm sorry. If you're really into energy, the best book is Vibrational Medicine by Dr. Richard Gerber. Decades old, best book ever written. It stands there. The other one I would say is a young adult book by Susan Cooper. The dark uh, is rising. It just it the dark is rising. It it basically describes reality. Amazing, Action Tribe. Many of you know, but uh, Audible.com is supporting all of our listeners and giving one of all of our listeners a free audiobook download. And in most of the cases, the authors read the book out themselves. And uh, Cindy, I know that your books are also on Audible as well. Yeah, right? many books are on Audible. Mm-hmm. Many books. Uh, in terms of Cindy's books, obviously, she's written so many books. But one book I really, really like is The Little Book of the Chakras. You know, because it's such a beautiful, small little book and you can always, you know, glance through it and come across the different techniques or meditations and practices and you can put it in your in your bag as well. So in addition to the larger book, the complete book of the chakras, this is it's a beautiful book, but I really like this book and I'm sure you'll get it on Audible as well. But Cindy, once again, thanks a lot for writing all these phenomenal books and for coming on our show. Before you go, what is one thing that you're grateful for today and how can we find you online? Ah! for this time with you my heart feels really full so thank you i'm grateful that my dog slept through our time period too <laughs> <So> <laughs> otherwise you would have had visitors uh, and it's mm-hmm. easy to find me it's cindydale.com spelled weird c-y-n-d-i dale.com very easy amazing action tribe You know, if you enjoyed this episode, and I'm sure many of you have, then take a screenshot on your phone and tag both Cindy and me on our Instagram profiles. I'm at my seven chakras. And Cindy, you're at Cindy Cindy Dale Dale, Energy. Cindy Dale Energy. Cindy Dale Energy. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Just tag us and we'll share it with our communities as well. And all of you know that if you have any comments, feedback, observations, just email me at aj at my seven chakras.com. aj at my seven chakras.com. Uh, But Cindy, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, really educating us and sharing these amazing stories. 
um, providing us hope as humanity that we're not restricted to this 3D, 3D plane, that we have imaginal realms that we can traverse to and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.